Hey there. Welcome to the Geography of Everything, the podcast where we try to figure out the geography of, well, everything. I'm your host, Ronnie Ravid. And I'm your producer, Zen Heilinga. For our first episode, we invited Dr. Michiel van Mietlen, who is an assistant professor and lecturer in human geography at Loughborough University in the UK, as well as Utrecht University here in the Netherlands. We thought that Dr. Van Mietlen would be the perfect first guest for our podcast because we really need to start at the beginning, understanding what is geography fundamentally. And after our conversation, we found out that geography is a process of making sense of the world. And we hope that you'll enjoy this conversation just as much as we did. Thanks for tuning in. So we're so excited to have you here, Dr. Van Mietren. Um, and the reason we invited you to come on the show today and especially be our first guest is you have an absolute breadth of knowledge when it comes to the history of the field of geography, the philosophy behind it, and the key thinkers. So we figured who better to start with than someone who can really take us back to the beginning of this whole thing. So where we would like to start is really right where we need to start, right at the beginning. So how did we as animals, as sort of primitive beings, locate ourselves? Why was it important to locate ourselves? Well, let, let's let's start to begin with what, what geography is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, you know, geography obviously comes from, comes from Greek, comes from, you know, geographia, or, which also means it's writing about the world. So it's not just about locating ourselves. It's actually about about making sense of where we are, making sense of who we are through where we are. Uh, and in that sense, you can you can say that humans, you know, it's almost fundamental to being human that you sort of, you know, attach yourself to your environment. You make sense of your environment around there. And, you know, as, as, as human species, we've tended to evolve to do that through language and through meaning making and to to well, creating places or defining places all around us. So in that sense, you know, every human has been a geographer as far as we and as far as we've known has always been a geographer or practices geography in our everyday life, in our everyday thinking. Um, so, yeah, where did it begin? Well, you know, if you take geography as more than just a location, it begins with 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 sense making. And therefore, with you know the moment when humans started to make sense, which is somewhere outside the written record. Yeah. Do we see maybe any examples of even animals doing something like this as well? BBC once made a beautiful documentary series called "The Secret Life of the Cat," and that they took a village somewhere in Surrey, in uh, in rural England, and they extensively tagged every cat in the village. And the whole series is just this three-part documentary of you know the cat society that sort of lives in parallel to the human society over there. But of course, the way you narrate that, so these cats interact, they fight, they eat each other's food, they have their own hierarchies, their own you know sort of social antagonisms and friendships and shifting coalitions. 
However, if you look at a documentary, what we do as humans, we sort of, we try to impose human emotions on that. We sort of try to see human society through cat society to sort of naturalize ourselves. So in a sense, you can't get away from that. You know, you know, there's a lot of talk about how can you do more than human geographies, but even then the more than human, the, that human part is still in there. So maybe there's something to be said about navigation and uses of space being sort of universal across the animal kingdom, but our understanding of geography, of ascribing meaning to it, is inherently biased to being human. We can only view things in a human way. No matter how much I try, I don't think I'll ever be able to understand what my cat thinks. That's even when you start interpreting for other humans. I mean, one of the interesting things about about talking about something like like animal geographies is we're actually trying to imagine what our cat thinks through observing, through describing, through interacting, through relating, through all those things. But if you write about other humans or other societies or even, you know, the village next door, it's, that's actually the, the empathic role of doing geography. It's It's being able to put yourself into somebody, whether that be a human or a cat, somebody's shoes and sort of try to see the world through their eyes, which is an imperfect exercise, but, you know, probably the most, one of the most important aspects of the discipline of geography. That That's why we do this. Yeah. I love, I love uh, how you said that, that it's an empathetic practice. It's a practice about constantly trying to understand someone, really put yourself in their shoes. I actually have never thought about it that way. So I guess just kind of moving back to the human side of geography. When did geography as a discipline really become formalized? Well, so geography has been around since since antiquity to a certain extent, but it, it, it's in a way it's the original discipline, you know, a bit like historians and geographers. They would they would used to do everything. Um, and you will find a position for geographers at universities, you know, as 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 the sciences and as disciplines evolved, you, know, you get a division of labor. And that meant that geography sort of, you know, found, found that chops of it you know, we're falling off and we're institutionalizing themselves as separate disciplines. So a geographer, you know, a geographer in the 17th or 18th century, you know, outside academia, but in the world would consider you know, everything from climate to weather to the biology and the ecology of regions up until indeed human societies, human interactions, you know, all the knowledge about the world in one place, you know, as a cosmology issue, as you would call something like that. Uh, and of course, you know, those things got specialized um, in, in different disciplines. So human, you know, geography as an academic discipline is, is decisively a product of the 19th century uh, when it got caught up in the process of state building or in the process of empire building. You know, it, there's a sort of an uh, original sin to the discipline in that sense. What was the initial use of geography? Well, okay, if, if you take take geography literally, Geography is, you know, earth writing. It's literally making sense of the world. Now, what's better than having a discipline that is all there to make sense of the world? Well, that's that's quite an awesome thing to do. But of course, making sense of the world is to a certain extent, you know, an instrumental question about, you know, why would you want to make sense of something? So uh, it again is about interpreting. It's about interpreting. It's it's also about professionalizing knowledge. So if you talk about you know that that infamous nineteenth century, you know when the discipline institutionalized, you know it's making sense of the world. You know what 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 is a proper 
Now, what is the understanding of a world that a proper Dutch person has? So you sort of see how this gets tangled up in a nationalist project, right? You know, what is, you know, what is the Netherlands as a country? What is the United States as a country? What characterizes the people? Um, and you, know, you get these kind of psychological profiles or you get these stereotypes about culture, which were literally cultivated almost, you know, to, to, to assert distinctiveness of a group, which then got caught up in the political process. Um, or it can be fairly instrumental, you know, making sense of the world, you know, knowing where the world's goods are located, uh, you know, for whatever political economic program. So, so you want to build armies, you want to, um, you know, you want to have an economy, you want to, you want to trade, you want to get those, that, that stuff that you do not grow yourself. Where can you get that? Um, so that kind of you know, knowledge to a certain extent, any question about making sense of the world is an instrumentalization of knowledge. It's, it's about selection. Um, and of course, it always had, has these two combinations, which, which are almost the original, uh, original family groups of geography, right? You have a, a kind of a descriptive knowledge, knowledge about the world. You can say that even a travel guide is a piece of geographical writing. And there's the whole mathematical art of navigation, of, of you know, accurate description, uh, uh, cartography, and those things always go together in 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 several combinations throughout the history of the of the discipline, and you can sort of see the you know, these fragments chipping off on either side of that. Yeah. So, do you actually know maybe when we started mapping? Well, if you if you look at the textbook, um, you know you find you find that mapping. You know, there's there are large debates on you know when is a map a map. Um, and, you know, you can even find in, you know, in certain cave writings or in, you know, almost, uh, you know, gravely prehistoric uh, artifacts, you, people have asserted, you know, that is a map, that is not a map. And if you look at the textbooks, there are always these standard examples of, you know, early topological maps that sort of describe how you get from A to B, which to a certain extent is a map, you know, uh, and, but... And then, then, of course, there's the whole history of cartography that you know starts in Greek times and Roman times, is rediscovered in the in the Renaissance, is instrumentalized in the age of exploration, um, and you know you get a more formalized scientification of mapping in the 19th century. Also, again, instrumentalizing as something like property rights become asserted, and therefore you need to measure you know who owns the land. Uh, or you need to make maps of you know of whatever colonial territories you need. So cartography institutionalizes, formalizes, and becomes part of the state apparatus in many places. I mean, you know, the U.S. Geological Survey was for a large part of the 19th century the most important institutions for geographers. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> a great point that you're making. That a lot of the borders that we have between countries, maybe aside from if you are an island nation are things that we've drawn ourselves, right? So geography is really integral for how we define national borders as well, because in a sense, this is where they originate. This is who gave it meaning and who gave it power, right? If I'm getting that right. There's, of course, a whole history to the geograph geographer's involvement in determining borders. You know, the moment when, when you get modern state formation, you know, defining the exact border becomes more and more important. You know, in a, in a more of an empire situation or in a more of a feudal situation, you had centers of power, and then the diminishing of power as you as you moved, and then the border between two places was unclear. Projecting a border on, let's say, the Roman Empire is completely anachronistic. That's you know, 
19th century thinking projected on a on a distant past. Art and borders also uh, more of a Western concept, as in when we colonized the Africa, we also came up with borders there because they they ruined, right? Well, well, you can so to a certain extent say that borders are a Western concept. You can also say that borders are a modern concept, yeah, okay. uh, largely imposed by the West on the rest of the world. Uh, but throughout history, you know, the West has imposed a lot of borders on the world uh, to carve out their own colonial territories, etc. Uh, you know, bordering to a certain extent is a technology, a technology to assert property rights, a technology to assert political rights. Uh, but of course, it's also a technology that you can use against oppression or against uh, or against the state by asserting your counter boundaries or your counter border. And of course, large part of the world were sort of caught by surprise when you know Europeans started to formalize these borders, which were much more fluid. You know, might move or might you know different conceptions of how people deal with their environment and with the land. So I guess mm-hmm. I. I've- really fascinated by kind of the the concept that you're talking about where the power of being a geographer and what it really means to define a space, especially one that may not be yours, right? Um, so I guess kind of going back to what you were saying about the sort of original sin of geographers, right? And we see all these issues coming about today where we've, we as in the West, have sort of cut these places into neat little squares that don't really form together. And so my question here is more, what are the politics behind geography? Because we look at some of these old maps, for example, where the continent of Africa is really small, but the United States is huge, or that we place Western Europe at the center of the map, but we put places like China at the periphery. Uh, You know, it's sort of interesting, you know, if you talk about is geographical knowledge power, of course, all knowledge is power and the power to define, you know, is is something that gets expressed there. So you can look at all these things historically is why, you know, why were maps drawn in a particular way. And, you know, you get competing European empires that sort of shift the center of the zero meridian was in Paris, that was in Greenwich, sort of stayed in Greenwich, which says something about the British Empire, which was then spread all over the world. Um, and to a certain extent, you know, map projections, you know, uh, any map projection is a distortion uh, because, you know, the, the world is round. So if you want to depict the world on a flat surface, you know, you need to hammer it down. That means, and if you want to do that in a nice square map, it means you have to make a compromise, meaning that either you get a deformation of landform or you get a distortion of distance or you get a distortion of area. And any map is a sort of a compromise between those three distortions. Otherwise, you need to make a globe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, if you're talking about the Mercator projection, which is you know the biggest culprit in this one, uh, Mercator projection was originally devised as a navigation tool, and it means that you know if you travel on that map in a straight line, you're actually sailing in a straight line. So, you know, if you draw a course from one point of a Mercator map to the other, uh, you end up at the right place. So, for navigation, that was a really useful map. Uh, it probably has as a side use, which, you know, that it you know, made certain countries bigger than they are and other countries smaller than they are. And so it helped project power. And it could very well be that that sort of side effect uh, meant that people like to use the map in a non-navigational circumstance as well, because, you know, uh, you know, maps have a strange sort of power to them. 
you know, they, if it's on the map, it's true. And of course, every map is a selection of reality. It's a selection that we deem important to map. And if the state makes a map, it's the map says something about what the state thinks important or what those in power think are important. Yeah, you can also see it in where Europe is on the map. Is it in the middle or is it on, on the right side of the map? Absolutely. And that we think if we put it on the right side, you know, if we put it on a different side of the map, that there's something wrong with the map. Yeah. Or if you make a map <laughs> where the south is up instead of the north and you sort of see that the world is actually dominated by ocean. Yeah, I, I remember there was one map that I saw in my undergraduate. Uh, it was a... I think it was some form of like urban geography course. I don't remember, but it was a map of only sidewalks instead of roads. And it really made the city look empty. It was quite confusing to to kind of see, well, if we really shift away from placing how do we navigate a city in cars and shift that focus to how do we navigate the city by foot, the way the city looks completely fundamentally changes, right? So I really like what you're saying here where what we choose to map is what we deem important. And I think that there's a lot of power in that discipline, right? And that is, again, kind of going back to the sort of original sin. Absolutely. Yeah, I think this also go, goes back to what you in the beginning said about cats interpreting <laughs> what cats think, as in geography is really about interpreting the world. So, and that you also do with, making, with the making of maps. Absolutely. And, and maps have a nice side effect because if you put two things on a map, you know, one lends truth from the other thing. And if you put three things on the map as well, and if something's not on the map, you know, is it somehow we, we somehow deem it less important, which is a strange intuition. Uh, you know, ma maps are, are really curious devices in that sense. Uh, but again, uh, you know, it often starts with an instrumental use. Why, why are roads really big on a road map? It's because, you know, people use that to... to you know, to take a road trip. And it's really nice to have a map, you know, about the types of forests that are on the side of the road. But you probably wouldn't buy it at a gas station if you're trying to get from A to B. So in a certain sense, you know, it's, it's also, you know, what you use maps for. And of course, the interesting thing is, 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 is that maps have become so much more democratized in recent years. Everybody can make maps. You know, uh, or spatial information. You know, it used it used to be a craft. You know, you needed to have your you need to be able to draw, you know, wear a white coat. You know, have a very precise mapping. Cartographer was really a profession, and of course, we lost a little bit with losing the professional cartographer. If you look at the hideous state of maps on TV, for instance. Uh, but at the same time, it's uh, you know, it's it, it's great to have democratized the maps. It's, it's really easy to make a map nowadays. You can find tools on the internet. You can say map this on that. And of course, there's still politics to that because some things are easier to map than others. And who determines what is easy to map and what is difficult to map? Yeah, or where's data on you can map? Absolutely. And who owns that data? Yeah. How can you be part of that data? Um, and, and what happens if you're not part of the data? You know, what happens if you're, uh, if you're not on Google Maps, which is a really interesting map in itself? You know, who, who decides what's on Google Maps? Yeah, definitely. I always remember every once in a while I'll go on Google Earth and try to see my home and see kind of when was the most recent satellite image based on what was going on in the yard. And I always find it a little creepy. <laughs> I didn't consent to them to take a photo of my home. <laughs> Which is why Germany is hardly on Google Street View. Really? I did not know that. Can you explain it? 
No, the, the Germans are very keen on their privacy. So they basically said no to Google. It's like, you're not going to, you know, if you don't get consent of those people, you're not allowed to publish photographs of their houses. So Seems do we like see... a big task to uh, get consent from every German citizen. <laughs> so they don't. So yeah. Germany is, you know, try, try to use Google Maps on Germany or Google Street View in Germany. Okay, never did it. You we'll... can't. So what about, are, are there <laughs> any other countries that are black zones? Because if we think about... Um, Google's relationship, for example, with China, it's quite quite a difficult relationship they have there. So I wonder if there's sort of only a, a select group of places that we can actually see on these maps. Well, of course, it changes all the time. Yeah, I just told the story about Germany. It's probably a good one to check before you publish the podcast. It's <laughs> completely outdated information. Google's everywhere, so certainly in Germany. But, you know, there are, there are still, you know, you know one, one place which is still... Uh, Really difficult to access by Google. It's a place like the Democratic Republic of Congo. Try to figure, you know, try to get on more than a satellite granular level. No way. Uh, and of course, that has to do with logistics and you know how important Google deems it to to send their to send their survey teams over there. Whether it's safe for those survey teams to actually go there, you know. So there there are places that are off that map. Yeah, but then I guess that goes back into this power thing, right? What we have on Google Maps is then what Google deems important. And feasible to a degree, right? And so we're still getting these these Western companies that seem to be defining the world beyond them. Are there any sort of like modern implications to that? Of course there are. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, you talk about your original sin of, of, of geography in service of the state. And now I'm not just thinking about a discipline of academic geography, but, you know, you know, who's financing geographical explorations right now? You know, Google Street View is, of course, the, the biggest geographical exploration ever. It's like literally sending thousands of cars with 360 degrees cameras all over the world to sort of make a dynamic photograph of the world. Yeah, imagine Christopher Columbus with 300 Google cars. <laughs> <laughs> he did enough damage with three ships. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, uh, uh, so you, you can think you can, but that's I, I think that is really important when you think about geography. You know, tend, people tend to think about you know academic geography as what people do in the university. But you know, you know the biggest you know Google is probably the biggest producer of geographical knowledge as we speak and making that accessible to other people. And 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 that is something to critically reflect upon. Because uh, because okay, as a producer of geographical knowledge, what's what's the standards you hold them to? And all those sort of critical perspectives, you know. You know, we might be so academic geography had its original sin in the 19th century and we spent a lot of time you know debating that thinking about that uh, but if you know if, if it weren't academic geographers in the 19th century doing it other people were doing it you know people are producing geographical knowledge with geographical biases they are drawing lines on maps they are defining boundaries just in their practice uh, so you know we try to alleviate our original sin by critically analyzing how other people yeah, because something that this conversation has sort of brought up, a lot of us think that our phones are listening to us. That's a big thing that we always debate. But really what's happening is our phone is geolocating us in relation to other people. So if I go grab coffee with someone who is really into pony riding, I might end up with a bunch of ads on where I can find a pony. And so we think that because this may have come up in conversation that our phones are listening to us, but what we're really seeing 
is this geodata really being leveraged today in a way that maybe we're not giving consent for? So what does this sort of tell us about the way that geography is being utilized by these tech companies today? Well, once once again, I mean, it's sort of useful to make that step. I mean, like, 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 like we did with the cats. So you've got cats tracing, tracing themselves in time space, and that's something you can map. And then there's a layer of meaning making. So what you're talking over here is that, you know, by these geographical relationships, you actually have algorithms writing geography. And maybe they're writing really bad geography. I mean, you know, if you look at the actual ads you're getting because of that sort of geolocation, sometimes like, did they really think I was into that? But, but um, so in a sense, I always find that reassuring. You know, the moment you get on Amazon and really starts recommending what you really want, that's the moment where you have to start worrying. But, but the point, the point is about all is this is that there is this layer of meaning being attached to it. And that layer of meaning is maybe being automated. Maybe we're codifying, you know, human unconscious habits, you know, as a sort of a truth. And of course, that truth and the truth that's something like, uh, like, you know, that these geolocations make and the recommendations they sort of make, they might actually bring that world into being or make make that layer of behavior more more durable. In, in a way, you know, we could be gen generating something automatically that, that ultimately is constraining our, our human creativity and how we could, you know, be in space. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this actually brings us to another point where sort of classic geography, we talk a lot about like actual space, right? Whatever sort of aspect of space, whether that be rivers or roads or borders or nautical pathways, but today, Geography has sort of taken this this turn, I think, since around the 80s and 90s to start mapping things that are quite intangible. So things that we can't see in front of us, things like creativity and things like innovation, that all of a sudden it's it's not something you can see in front of you quite literally, but you can map the patterns. So when did geography become, in a sense, so figurative? Isn't that always has been? If I if I go back to my nineteenth century geographer and he's, uh, I don't know, he's mapping um, Dutch culture. You're drawing a line on a map. You sort of, you know, you're you're you're, you're making something absolute, which is sort of there and sort of not there. And of course, that's the layer you add to it by simplifying reality by sort of you know tightening up the edges of something. When you put it on a map, you might also make it more real than it actually is, or you make it less dynamic, less fluid. So, you know, geographical practice, the way we write about the world, fixes things in space. Uh, and of course, you know, that gets a double. Uh, and let's take a really simple example. We're just talking about how a travel guide is, in fact, geographical writing. You know, a travel guide also prescribes how a space is used, how a space should be used. You know, people go to places, you know, tourists read a travel guide and, you know, they get an indication of what they're supposed to be doing there. What's What does a good tourist do when you go to Paris? <coughs> is visit certain places in Paris. Actually, you know, constituting those exact flows that this tourist guide previously described or or might even might, might even more for change it. So, you know, our writing about the world, you know, that interpretative layer that we put on the world, you know, is part is in itself part of, you know, 
human culture and how how human culture sort of you know perpetuates itself reproduces itself it's part of our artifacts that we make yeah it also influences the world again as in if you, what you write about the world also changes the world again so if you write about a place in a travel guide a lot of people go to that place and becomes more popular Absolutely. So, I mean, in that, in, that, in that sense, your podcast name is really apt, right? It's the geography of everything and everything has a geography. Uh, but it's not just that it has a geography in an absolute sense. It's, you know, we, we make that geography, we write, we reproduce that geography. It's a story about ourselves. We tell about ourselves, we retell about ourselves. And hopefully it's an evolving story. It's a story, you know, that, that goes somewhere, that, that, but but there are also, you know, a lot of mechanisms that work in the world that keep the story the same. So I guess kind of like thinking to the future then, what do you, where do you think we're going with geography now that we have all of these like amazing technologies like GIS and satellite imagery and this abundant amount of data that is constantly being collected on all of us every second of the day? Where are we going with this? You know, we're at a moment where all sorts of relations in the world are being rearranged. We've got much more information about the world, but we actually have a lack of sense-making. So if geography is indeed, uh, you know, making sense of the world, there's there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Uh, and that's creative work because the data never speaks for itself. Yes, you see a pattern, you can plot it on a map. What does that map mean? What should that map mean? What kind of larger story could that map be a part of? Could the map be part of 20 different stories? Could it be another map, which, you know, using a slightly different configuration of data that tells a different story? So that making sense of the world and, you know, having different sense makings confronted with one another is really the key challenge of our times because all sorts of relations that geographers you know, have traditionally concerned themselves with, like the relationship between humans and nature and how, you know, the environment shapes different kinds of human societies. All of that is changing. You know, also as world societies become much more intertwined, so there's much more variety, much more things to understand. There's much more to be making sense of, uh, you know, and as we're in an explosion of information, you know, there's, there's just more work ahead. The more, the more society change, the more we cannot rely on on the inherited geographies. Yeah, I hope this podcast also inspires a lot of more people to go to go into geography and do this work. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of job openings coming <laughs> up. <laughs> so our final question here for you is from your perspective, what is geography? Well, for me, geography is... Like, like I said, geography is making sense of the world, and that's an awesome job to have. Yeah, that, that reminds me of that sort of classic proverb mm. where there's well, like five people all touching a different part of an elephant, and all of them are describing the elephant in a different way, and they think it's a completely different animal if they're at the trunk or the tail or the legs, and what they're all really talking about is the same elephant, right? And so I think in many ways that's what I'm getting out of this conversation is that with geography, we're all taking these tiny little pieces of the elephant, and maybe if we all work together, we can figure out what this elephant is. <laughs> or, more, even more interesting, what this elephant could be. And the elephant, and that's and that what makes geography such a fascinating, you know, world to be in. That elephant is the world. 
So no, ultimately what geographers are about is about imagining what the world could be. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really great kind of like ending point as well. Thinking about it in this sort of cumulative way. It's definitely given me a lot of food for thought in terms of how much creativity really is involved on this everyday practice of navigating our world of making sense of the things happening around us. So thank you for that. My pleasure. This podcast was recorded at and made possible by Utrecht University. Yay.